Good evening, everybody. Uh, we're going to get started right quick and in a hurry uh, because we've got a big topic tonight. So we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, in thy name, I ask thee to bind and silence all powers and forces that do not accept thee as Lord and King. In the air, in the water, in the ground, in the netherworld and nature and the spiritual world. I ask thee to bind all demonic action and demonic communication. Lord, seal this whole place and all of us and all our intentions in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Mary, we ask thee to surround us with thy mantle of protection and crush Satan's power in our lives. Saint Michael the Archangel, we ask thee and all our guardian angels to defend us in battle against Satan and the powers of darkness. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, well, welcome everybody to uh, our fourth session in the Living the Faith series. Tonight we're talking about deliverance and spiritual freedom. Brief recap of, of where we've been uh, thus far, though. In our first session, we just said very simply that the purpose of this human life is to know, love, and serve God uh, in, in this life so that we can be happy with him in the next. That's right from the Baltimore Catechism. Basically, we're designed to be saints. And, and being a saint is just being who we actually are without uh, brokenness and without evil. So we want to be in the process of becoming saints. And to do that, we have to actually live our faith. That's why this series is called Living the Faith. So this helps us to concretely do that in the world. And in the end, we should have what we call a PSP, a personalized spiritual plan, something that's concrete that we can latch on to, action items that help us move the ball forward. Second session, we talked about total reconciliation and the fact that our life is very short. And then when we come to the end of it, we just want to be totally reconciled to God and we want to be totally reconciled to the people around us. That's our desire when we exit this world. So to do that, we're going to try to make a general confession at least once in our life. That's a whole life confession, everything that's come before that point. And we're going to start going to confession regularly. Monthly is what I recommend. Daily prayer, weekly mass, monthly confession. And so we're going to ask our Lord to enlighten us as to what we need to be reconciled to him by and who we need to be reconciled to on the earth and start to make the effort to reach out to those people. Session three, we talked about getting totally healed. So absolutely everybody is internally wounded in some kind of way. It's the, it's the human condition post-fall. And damage happens to our intellect, our thinking power, our will, our choosing power, and our passions, our, our emotions. So parents, lovers, friends, enemies, ourselves, uh, we can be wounded by these things. So we have to recognize that our wounds are at least partially spiritual in nature, they're immaterial, and that God has the power to heal them and then he wants to heal them. So we're gonna ask for that healing, we're gonna forgive who's ever hurt us, we're gonna cut the unholy soul ties between us and anybody that we might be connected to through trauma or intimacy that's not in a spiritual place that we wanna be. That unholy soul tie that we talked about is actually a perfect example of what we're gonna talk about in this session, spiritual evil and what it does to us. 
Spiritual evil, like we said, it always wounds us. That's the point. So it, it promises us something good and then it doesn't deliver on it. Or as I like to describe it, it hands you a contract where half of the words are in invisible ink. And so you're, you're, you're not sure what you're signing up for. I've talked to a lot of people who have signed a contract that then they couldn't get out of on their own. So what we have to do is we have to take a look at what it is, what spiritual evil actually is, what it's trying to do, the effect that it has on us and how we can resist it because we don't want its influence in our life. So what is spiritual evil and where does it come from? To answer that, we have to answer the question, what's evil? Because there's a lot of different, different definitions out there and people will direct us in different ways. Evil is not a thing in and of itself. You can't hold evil in your hand like your phone. Evil is non-being. It's what we call a privation or a lack of something. It's a lack of good. So as darkness is to light, so evil is to good. It doesn't have existence in and of itself. It's a lack of God because God is being itself. You walk into a, a dark room, say it's pitch black in there. The darkness doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is a lack of the particle slash wave that we call light. That's what darkness is. So recall the structure of the universe and the fact that it has a structure. We understand it in physics to a certain degree and we can study that. It also has a structure in metaphysics, in the spiritual and that which goes beyond physics. So you have God who is being itself and his angels, the spirits who have sided with him and Lucifer non-being and his angels, the spirits that have sided with him. Lucifer and his angels, they simply chose against God. So they chose the darkness and that changed them into Satan and into demons. They used to be good. God creates all things good. So the first point that we want to recognize is that there is indeed real spiritual evil in the universe. There are these beings that now choose the lack. They select the non-being. And so they become it, its incarnation in a way. So the devil and his angels exist. They're not red. They don't have tails. They don't have pitchforks. They're angelic beings that rebelled fully against the purpose for which they were created. They're angels. So remember, angels are rational spiritual beings. They have rational consciousness, just like we do, but they don't have physics. They lack the physical component. So that means they don't have brains. They just have minds. So when they choose, when they select something, there's no deliberation. They see that choice all the way out to the end with its consequences and their decisions are permanent. That's why Satan and the demons cannot repent. They've already seen to the end of the line and selected what's coming to them. One time I received permission from one of the bishops to exercise a house. And I went to this house and 
long story short, the diabolic manifestations in the house were so potent that most of the family couldn't get near the house. It was just the dad. So I met the dad at the house to pray one of these exorcistic prayers and to say mass in the house. And in this prayer, the third chapter of the rite of exorcism, there's three sections to it. There's uh, a prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. There's the actual exorcism directly addressing Satan. And then there is uh, a prayer to God and thanksgiving to God. We were there, just the two of us in the house, everything going fine. And I started the prayers, got through the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. And as soon as I began the prayer of exorcism, the command of exorcism, everything in the house shut off. Every single electronic thing, anything that was moving, just dead. And I thought internally, it's all real, baby. Let's do this thing. You know, I got pumped. I got excited. And so we carried right on through. And as soon as that was over and we got through the prayer to God, everything came back on. It was not a power spike. So these forces are real. And that's why I get a little worried when, when people come to me and they say, Father, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. My response is very simple and it's always the same. Not everything that's spiritual is good. Think about that for a second. Because there's a whole vein of thought in the secular world where it's like, well, if you're a spiritual person, you're going to be fine. There's this entire swath of the ontological of the metaphysical realm that is non-being, that is the lack, that is anti-God. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So this spiritual evil exists. What is it doing? What's its aim? Why is it there? Very simple, super simple. It just tries to get us to not fulfill the will of God for our lives by influencing us in some kind of way. That's it. Nothing else fancy at all. So the will of God for us approximately is sanctification, to become saints, to become who we really are, right? Minus evil, minus woundedness. His ultimate plan for us and for all human beings is that we be with him forever. Satan doesn't want either of those things to happen. So he fights God and he fights us when we're trying to get to him, when we're trying to fulfill those things. It says very clearly in Ephesians 6, verse 12, for our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the world of this darkness, against the spirits of wickedness in high places. That's what they're doing. They're there and it's happening all the time. The question is, how? How does evil influence us? There's what I call the big three. It comes to us through the world, the flesh, and the devil, which is the most proximate content of this talk. The world is the nexus of systems and people and organizations and governments that worship themselves or money or the physical universe rather than God. It's as simple as that. You can all be connected doing that. And all you gotta do is flick on the Netflix to see the world. The flesh is the impulses of our own body that tend toward evil because of original sin. 
because of the fall, because of what we now call concupiscence. We just kind of come out of the box, tending toward our fallen nature and the fallen world, and then the devil. A real being, an angel, with a lot of angels surrounding him and supporting him, that just want to cause our harm. If they want to cause our harm and they want to influence us so that we don't do the will of God for our lives, what's the nature of the influence? What exactly are they doing? There's four levels that have to do with a rational being. There's a fifth one, but it has to do with irrational things. It's called infestation. That's if there's a house or an object or an animal that has some sort of diabolic attachment to it. I was involved in a, in a case one time where the family was diabolically oppressed and for whatever reason, it affected their dog. The dog was infested and just mysteriously bled all over the place. Things like that can happen. But if you're a rational being, there's four levels in ascending or descending order, depending on how you look at it. The first level is temptation. This is the most basic one. And we all experience this 100% universal. It's just being encouraged to do something bad. It's just a little push in the direction of evil, right? And it can happen without the devil, for sure. But what we're talking about here is spiritual temptation, something that's spiritual. It can be internal, like all of a sudden some blazing image of an attractive person from your past pops into your mind. Or it can be external. You run into that person in a coffee shop after many years and they hit on you and they try to draw you back into that corrupt relationship. It can also be much more complex than that. And the fact of the matter is, as we progress through the spiritual life, it does become more complex. And the vast majority of temptations come to us as these kind of pithy little sayings or beliefs in the mind. For example, I don't need to pray today. I don't need to pray today. I went to mass on Sunday. I went to mass last month. You know, I prayed to Hail Mary when I got up this morning. I asked that God secure my finances and not smite me. You know, whatever. I don't need to pray today. I'll do it tomorrow. That's a temptation. That's what temptation is like. Because what would happen if we went to pray? We would get closer to God. We would become a truer version of ourselves. We would become the saint version. And so the enemy is trying to tempt us away from that which is spiritual. One of the most common temptations, I don't need to pray today, I'll do it tomorrow. And then it doesn't happen tomorrow, right? God allows everybody to experience temptation for one reason. It makes us stronger if we resist it. Temptation is what I like to call the spiritual gym. So it's precisely the difficulty of it that makes you stronger if you resist it. So you're in the gym, you're pressing weight, there's, you're putting pressure on your muscle. And as you resist it, something is happening to that muscle tissue. There are micro tears occurring that then need to be healed. But when it's healed, it's bigger, stronger, better, better. 
that is a perfect analog to what happens to us spiritually when we resist temptation. The next time that move comes our way, that specific thing comes our way, we're stronger. It's easier to resist it. So experiencing temptation in and of itself is not a sin. It doesn't become a sin until you say yes, right? You could have anything flash into your mind non-volitionally. That could just be the enemy and the spirits messing with you. It's not until you actually latch on to it that something happens. Sometimes I tell my spiritual directees, think of your thought life and think of temptation as sitting by a river. And you're sitting by the river and you're just watching all of this stuff float down, all of these logs and whatnot. You're not actually guilty of something until you reach out and stop it. You have made a, a volitional movement, a move of your will. You've grabbed something and you've stopped it. You're like, you know what? That thought sounds pretty good right now. And you kind of ruminate on it and you pet the kitty of your temptation for a while and you let it live in your mind rent free. Okay, so all the while, while it's in your mind, it's, it's having an effect on you. It's drawing you down in a way that you don't recognize. So it's not a sin until you say, yep, okay, sounds good to me. It's the agreement with it that brings the evil into our lives. But if we resist it, it makes us stronger. The second level is what we call oppression. And oppression happens when we give into the temptation on a repeated basis. So we let the, the enemy kind of in the door. He's not in yet, but maybe we crack the door a little bit so we can communicate with him. And we make a way for him to influence our intellect, our thinking power, our will, our choosing power, and our passions, our feeling power. Most of the time, the passions, he enters through the emotions. So like a ventriloquist reaching in and working a puppet, but then taking his hand back out, the enemy is having his influence on us. He isn't really inside at this point. He's just wielding major influence on it. Fascinating book, if you've never read it, is C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. And the whole premise of The Screwtape Letters, Letters is it's these two demons talking to each other, an older one and a younger one. And the younger one is kind of like trying to think of all these new and inventive ways and whatnot to bring man down. And the older one says to him, it does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So if the temptation comes to us steadily and we give into it steadily, we begin to walk that wide road to perdition, this easy road. And it brings us farther, farther down and destroys the nature of our human nature. Some common examples, pornography addiction, huge, huge way that Satan influences the world. If he can corrupt your mind, in terms of how you think about other people, he can corrupt everything. 
because life is relationship, right? Food addiction, it's a lack of temperance in our body. An aversion to prayer and holy things. This is when oppression is starting to get more serious. You know, we go to mass and we just, oh, I don't want to be here. I don't like what's going on here. And we're like, where's that coming from? That's oppression. That's the enemy working in our lives. Spiritual sloth, the aforementioned, I don't need to pray today. I'm good to go. Father, I'm not murdering or assaulting people. What do you want from me? <laughs> like I've said before, pretty low bar. If you think about it, murder, assault, that's a very low bar in, in my mind. We got to be praying. We got to be encountering Jesus every day. Wanting to repeatedly watch things that we know are bad for us. Maybe we got hooked on a show and we're like, oh, wow, well, there's a lot of sex. There's a lot of violence. They blaspheme the name of the Lord, but, you know, I like it for the story. Is it worth it? Is, is the story worth being exposed to those things and having those things be an inroad into our soul that the enemy can exploit? And then there can be physical manifestations. There could be manifestations in our job, in our family, so many more, hundreds of things, thousands of things. But it comes into our life when we repeatedly let it happen. The next level down and the next two I won't spend much time on because they are more rare, but it's called obsession. And when someone is obsessed, Satan has gotten in the door. It doesn't mean he's, he's totally in control, but, but he's gotten in the door. And this stage, evil does things that, that repeatedly come to your mind, or they repeatedly exhibit themselves in your behavior. They happen in your life to a certain degree that's out of your control. So, for instance, when you encounter a holy thing, you have some terrible thought of blasphemy pop into your head. Where's that coming from? That's obsession. If it happens every time you encounter that holy thing, Satan has gained control of your intellective power on some level, and he has inserted a line of code that you did not give him permission to insert. It all goes back. The contract is half in invisible ink. We sign up for some kind of pleasure, and he installs something to bring us pain. And then the fourth level, the lowest one down, is possession. Now, this is the one you hear about all the time, and that's in Hollywood movies and whatnot. First of all, please don't get your information about the devil from Hollywood. Don't get your information about anything from Hollywood, be my, would be my strong recommendation. But especially the devil, because he clearly owns a lot of stock in that particular part of California. And so... If you get your info from those movies or those TV shows and whatnot, and now there are shows that directly make Lucifer the good guy and directly make witchcraft a good thing and teach people how to invoke demons and, and all these things, don't get involved in it at all. And also don't believe it because possession is one of the rarest things that can happen to us spiritually but I say it's kind of like cancer. Is cancer rare? Yeah, most of the people we know don't have cancer. But do most of us know someone that has cancer? Yeah. Or as Father Ripperger, one of the great exorcists in the country says, 
Satan isn't under every rock. He's under every other rock. Okay, so we shouldn't be looking for him under every rock, but he's definitely very present in people's lives. And if we allow him to, he'll go for possession. He always goes for that. He wants control, complete control of, the, of your ability to think and choose and feel. And then he can just kind of work you truly like a puppet. So your, your intellect, your will, your passions, your body, they're turned over to the enemy and he can control you as he wishes. So if this is how we can be influenced, how a rational creature can be influenced in these ways, it begs another question. What are the entry points for such a thing? How does someone get into a spiritual pickle like that? There's a lot of ways, I'll mention three. These I think are the three most common ones. Trauma, I think is the most common one, especially in early development but really at any time in life. The enemy can gain access to our souls through wounds that are inflicted upon us or, through we, or, or that we inflict upon ourselves. They act like a handhold for him because they're a chink in the armor of our psyche, right? There's something that shouldn't be there. God did not design us to be wounded so he can exploit that trauma to a certain degree if we allow him to. The second big one is sin, obviously. So by participating in evil things like unholy relationships, you know, drug abuse, occult activity, uh, we voluntarily open the door of our souls to the evil one. I've seen this play out many, many times in many, many different ways. It can be as simple as, I love that person. You know, I thought I loved them. We got into a relationship, we started sleeping together, and then things went very, very south. I just wanted to be enlightened. So I drank the ayahuasca. What do you want from me? I wanted to peer into the astral plane. Like, well, fine, there's an astral plane, but it's just filled with demons. <laughs> and they can go right into your consciousness when you're there. Or occult activity. I just wanted knowledge, I just wanted power. Well, fine, but if you seek knowledge and power from a source other than God, you're open and you can be influenced. And then there's Thirdly, direct diabolical attack. So we can be influenced by curses, hexes, spells, um, if we're not living holy life. So for instance, last year, almost exactly a year ago, here at St. Patrick's, I won't give you all the details because they're a little gruesome, but someone very clearly attempted to curse this place and the residents, including satanic objects and sacrificed animals and, you know, all, all of these things. And I could feel the very moment, though I didn't know it was occurring, that that came upon the property. And so, you know, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit rebuffs these things. But curses, hexes, and spells are real. They're not Harry Potter kind of things, which Harry Potter is in a whole nother talk. But but they're actually real. Witches don't ride around on brooms. They sacrifice animals and desire to take down the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And they have actual demonic power backing them up to try to do that. There are many ways, but I think those are the three main ways. Trauma, sin, and direct diabolical attack. So we're going a bit long, but all of that, 
at the end of all of that, the final question is, well, what do we do about it? You know, how can we actually rid our lives of spiritual evil? Number one thing, can't drive this home poignantly enough. It's just going to confession. Because you know, people make a big deal about exorcism and they're talking about a solemn exorcism that only an exorcist has the ability to pray. But an exorcism is just a blessing. It's just a fancy blessing directed against the devil. Confession is a sacrament. It's something instituted by God himself incarnate to bring his life directly into the center of our soul. So having a good confession, especially if the evil we're experiencing is connected to some specific sin, is critical and it's more effective than you were if you were sitting in front of the best exorcist in the world. No freedom occurs unless our will is on board. So do a general confession if you haven't done one. It's hard and it takes a while to kind of get together. But when you do it, you're able to say there was before today and there's after today, thanks be to God. Get absolutely everything out, especially the things you don't want to mention. And if the priest knows what he's doing, he will pray with you in the context of that confession for healing of those wounds and for a cutting of any spiritual ties with people and for a rejection of any demonic spirits. It will all be wrapped under the seal of that confession. Be sure to be specific because the demons are specific. This is how the universe works. God is relationship. The Trinity is a relationship. The devil is a legalist. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about you. The only thing he cares about is the law. And he will use the law against us. So if he has a right to something, then he has a right to something. Or a better way of putting it, rather than right, is he has permission to something because he has no rights really. So he gains permission to have influence on us. That's why we want to be specific and reject whatever cave door or portal he came through. That connects very broadly to what we just should be doing in general, just living a holy life. Daily prayer, weekly mass, monthly confession. These things, if we are close to our Lord, it's very hard to be slapped upside the head by the enemy. So this includes, like we've talked about, identifying our most common wounds and sins and temptations and writing them down with their counterpoints. So for example, I'm tempted to think that God doesn't love me. The counterpoint is God is love itself. He doesn't have it. He is it. It's impossible that he wouldn't love me. Right? Or maybe I'll never be healed. Maybe I'll never be freed of these things. Right to the scriptures. By his stripes, we were healed. Jesus has already merited my healing. All I have to do is receive it. So if we're living a holy life, we're writing down those sins and wounds and temptations and we're able to combat them. We're able to bring a counterpoint in the moment when it's presented to our mind. The most powerful thing, absolutely, is the name of Jesus. 
If you've ever seen an exorcism or be involved in anything, the names of Jesus and Mary, the demons, hate. Because he's already won. He's already defeated them. All of this is just a bunch of weird smoke and mirror stuff. He is victor, king, and lord of the universe. He owns everything, controls everything. He's sovereign master of everyone and everything in existence. So Satan and his demons only gain power when we use our human freedom to give them power. What we should be doing is using our human freedom to use the name of Jesus. I might have told this story before, but I was at a different church, and I walked into the rectory for that church. And I had been out doing some of the shopping or whatever. And I came back and I turned into our private residence, into part of the private residence. And when I got into that part of the private residence, all of a sudden, I was overcome with fear. And it was unusual because I wasn't afraid two seconds ago in the hallway. So I thought, this could be spiritual. This could be demonic. So I said out loud, I rebuke, reject, and renounce the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus Christ. Gone. Absolutely gone. As quickly as it came upon me, gone. That was a demon trying to influence me, hoping that I wouldn't notice that it was of spiritual origin. To use the name of Jesus is what they hate the most. If you remember nothing else from this talk, remember that. Use the name of Jesus to pray and to rebuff the enemy. We have some beautiful Catholic prayers too, like the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. If you don't know that prayer, memorize it. Keep it in your tool belt. Memorize the prayers of healing that we have in many of our Catholic books. If your house is, there's something weird going on in it, get a house blessing. Ask a priest to bless the house with exercised water and exercised salt. Use those sacramentals yourself. The exercise water, the salt, the oil. If you don't have them, just request them and I'm happy to give them to you. Sprinkle them around. Get rid of any objects or destroy any objects that are tying you to a relationship in which evil occurred or to a practice. If you used to be in crystal, into crystal healing and whatnot, destroy those crystals. If your grandfather was in the Masons and he had a sword, drown that sword in the Willamette. And come talk to me or a good priest who can pray with you to cut those spiritual ties. If you are experiencing what you perceive to be extraordinary diabolical involvement in your life, then we really need to pray. We need to sit down and pray. We need to pray prayers of surrender, giving our whole lives to Jesus, prayers of repentance, if they're necessary in the sacrament of confession, prayers of forgiveness. Not forgiving someone is one of the main causes of diabolical involvement in people's lives. We wouldn't naturally think it, we wouldn't immediately think it, but it's true. And then we make specific renunciations. I mentioned the prayer. I rebuke, reject, and renounce the spirit of mm, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me up completely from the top of my head to the soles of my feet in the name of Jesus. You are pushing out the evil and you are inviting in the Holy Spirit who is good. If things need to be kicked up from there, there are minor exorcisms. And minor exorcism, remember exorcism, once again, it's just a blessing. Any priest can do a minor exorcism, they're blessed. 
If it is discerned over a very long period of time with your priest or your spiritual director that Satan has gained access to you or someone that you know, then it's time for a major or a solemn exorcism. And only a priest delegated by a bishop can perform solemn exorcisms. The vast majority of spiritual issues and spiritual problems are resolved way before you get to a solemn exorcism. So if you put all this together, if you put all this information together, it really, in my mind, trickles down to one thing. Discussing these things and talking about these things, it's not about the devil. He doesn't deserve our attention. It's about Jesus. One thing that I, the main thing that I love is when I'm praying with people and they have some extraordinary diabolical involvement in their life and they pray the prayers of surrender and deliverance and they are freed, I get to see Jesus flex his power in the world. This is why I always say I have the best seat in the house, in the universe, in my mind, because I get to see God do what he does best. He sets people free and he heals them. It's about Jesus. Satan is already defeated by the blood of Jesus. We just have to ask him to manifest his victory in our lives in a particular way. And if you need help with that, contact your local metaphysician. He will be more than happy to help you. Now, I went a bit long because it's a lot of information, but we still got time. A lot of times there's a lot of questions with talks like this. The book that I referenced at the beginning of the talk is a really good book. Um, it's called Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity by Father Chad Ripperger. He is the priest that I mentioned before. Every prayer in this book can be prayed by a lay person, and they're quite powerful. The main sections of it are all the deliverance prayers and the prayers of command, and there's devotional prayers, there's healing prayers, there's the prayers for the uh, Auxilium Christianorum, which is an organization you can join simply by uh, praying prayers uh, every day. And there's, of course, an app for that as well, prayers of protection. So deliverance prayers for use by the laity, Father Chad Ripperger. If you buy that book, and it's for a specific reason, I highly recommend you reach out to your local priest or you reach out to me. Because you're, you're stepping into a pond that most people have not stepped into before. And especially at the beginning, you need a little bit of guidance. You need the hands on the shoulders so you don't go outside of the authority that you have. The reason you're able to pray these prayers is because you're baptized. So your baptismal munera, priest, prophet, and king, give you the authority through Jesus being the priest, prophet, and king to pray these prayers. But you can step outside of that, and that, that is dangerous. That's a dangerous thing. And so I, I do not recommend doing that because that can give the enemy control over us as well in some way. Even a priest can do that. If he prays prayers that are not in his wheelhouse, that the bishop has not given him permission to, he can get into a lot of spiritual trouble, a lot of spiritual trouble. So these are totally fine for you to pray. You're not going to get into any spiritual trouble if you pray them. But you, when you are praying them, you want to be noting what's occurring to you. 
or what's occurring in you. You know, you could feel anxious all of a sudden or really sleepy or you can't stop yawning or you're nauseated and whatnot. Tell your metaphysician if those things are occurring. You have some strange phenomenon in the house. Tell your metaphysician if those things are occurring. These prayers serve a diagnostic purpose on some level as well. Someone has a question about territorial spirits uh, and if they have authority to be there. For example, being in downtown Portland, uh, what do you do? Should we stay out of certain cities or areas? So there are indeed territorial spirits. It's confirmed in uh, the scriptures. One specific one is mentioned, the Prince of Persia. So demons, like we said, can be tied to um, things. They can be tied to places. We mentioned houses specifically. They can be tied to irrational living things like animals. They can be tied to people, rational places. So if it's in a place like a house and you own that house, uh, that house can be exercised. If you're talking about uh, something like a city or a section of a city, there's really only so much that can be done. Really the most that can be done, I can guarantee you is already being done for Portland, Oregon, because our bishop prays prayers of exorcism over the entire city and they do have effect. Um, I hear of the concrete effect that they're having. To come under the spiritual influence of a particular spirit, if you go to a, a particular area, you wanna rebuke, reject, and renounce that spirit in the name of Jesus, whatever it is, and do not be afraid of it. Don't, don't allow fear to control your mind or to control uh, your actions. Recognize that God is infinite and the devil's a creature. Okay, so just I am to an ant, that little example, like think about how you orient to an ant. God is to the devil with an infinitely larger gap. One is the creator being itself, one's a creature. There's no comparing and there's no comparing their power. So remember that when you feel uh, influenced by them. Okay, so regarding temptation, at what point does uh, simply a thought become evil or bad if you don't act on it? For example, thinking negative thoughts about another person, but you never act differently toward them. If you're thinking negative thoughts uh, towards someone and you notice that that's cyclical, chances are that's diabolical. That's one of those complex temptations that we were speaking of. Temptation just gets tricky and it gets complicated. And one of the most common things the devil does is he hones in on someone in our lives and says, that person hurt you and they're wrong and you should be mad and you should think about it. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to like get our emotions all riled up so that he can gain entrance through them. Most of the time in intellect, will, and passion, he is influencing us through our emotions. That's how the demons choose to go through because it's the easiest part. It's the lower part of the soul, the, as we call it in, in theology. And so recognize that as a temptation. And my advice is always the same. 
get to the point in your spiritual training where as soon as the thought that's negative about someone comes into your mind, you recognize it in that, in that moment and you're able to say, oh, it's happening, it's happening. This is not me. Something is happening to me that's spiritual and immediately put the opposite of it out there, which would be intercession for the salvation of that person. Or if they hurt us in a specific way, intercession that they be healed in that exact way. Whatever way we intercede, that's the Jesus way. And it, it opens us up, kicks the door open for him to actually impress that particular type of grace uh, upon us. So at what point does it become evil or bad? If it itself is evil or bad, then it's evil or bad. If it's negative, then it violates the law of charity, right? We can think about a legitimate hurt that someone has brought into our life, but our immediate next reaction should be intercession for that person to protect us from the evil and the bad of it actually going deeper into our souls. Seems like most parish priests are very busy. Do they typically provide spiritual direction to parishioners or would you suggest asking someone other than your parish priest? Absolutely, let me say this. Okay, so the <laughs> parish priests are very busy. We are some of the busiest people that I know. You know, a lot of us 80 or 90 hours a week into it. I'll say this about that though. Our vocation as priests is to be metaphysician. It's to be father. It's to be a conduit of the healing, saving, and delivering power of Jesus. That's why we exist. So all of the other nonsense that a priest could be involved in, oh, I wonder how many greens I can mix so I can get the, the nice olive green in the bathroom, whatever it might be, pales in comparison to actually being with someone and ministering to them and being a conduit of the saving, healing, and delivering power of Jesus. You're, if, you're, if you go to your priest and you say, I, I just need some direction, even if it's not long-term direction, I just kind of need to meet and talk maybe even one time. And he says, I don't have time for that. Go to a different priest. That particular priest has lost sight of his vocation. Now, a priest may say, well, I'm not taking spiritual directees right now for a particular reason. I'm too young or I don't feel prepared or whatever it might be. But my opinion is that if we have the writings of the saints, we can offer spiritual direction. If people have given us instructional manuals on how to become a saint, we can offer spiritual direction. And it's not a time issue. We sacrifice our spiritual personal time or just plain personal time for the sake of the good of someone else. So any good priest will, will at least meet with you once to sort things out. Are there circumstances where God might not heal us of a continual wound, a la the thorn in Paul's side? What do we do with these frequent wounds, temptations that never seem to go away? Good question. So Paul says very clearly, I have, this flat, I have this thorn in my side, quote unquote, messenger of Satan. And I asked the Lord to, to get rid of it three times and he didn't. And it's serving a purpose and its purpose is to keep me humble. 
I'm getting so much from God. He's pouring the universe into my mind and my heart so I can write the eternal scriptures that this thing is bothering me so I don't get prideful. To a certain degree, all of us experience something like that and it's fulfilled by temptation, the lowest level of influence. So if Satan is not in the door, we haven't done something or something hasn't happened so that we have a, a deeper degree of influence. It's just the temptation that all of us experience and not all of us experience the same temptations. So one person might find it so hard not to nick some candy when they go into Fred Meyer that they can barely go into Fred Meyer and they might have to uh, just not go into a grocery store for a while. Other people, they just can't find the energy to not look at pornography or not call up some person that they know they can hook up with. That temptation, let's be very clear, that temptation is only serving a purpose when it is resisted. So there are some physical therapy movements that I do now that I will do for the rest of my life. I don't like them. <laughs> They're not pleasurable, but they secure certain things and they keep me from further injury so I am committed to them. There are temptations that we may experience for the rest of our life, but if there's any part of us that has dread about that, that has despair about that, that has sadness about that, then we are not uh, at the level of spiritual maturity that God desires us to be at yet. Because when we get to that level of spiritual maturity, we recognize, I can't do this. This is not hard. It's impossible. Jesus has to do it in me, has to do it through me, has to do it to me. And when we start letting him in to that degree, and the temptation is consistently rebuffed, through his power flowing through us, and we're getting stronger, then it's not a source of sadness. It's not a source of discouragement. It's a source of continually getting stronger and maintaining spiritual strength in one particular area. What are the best healing and deliverance prayers to protect against OPP, oppressions that have... Uh, entered through traumas, how do we heal the wounds or sinful behavior that are the result of trauma? Okay, so like we said, one of the most common sort of entry points for spiritual evil to influence us is trauma. And all of us, I would say all of us, maybe safely I can say most of us, but I think all of us have been traumatized in some sort of way. What do you do when you recognize that that trauma is an inroad to the power of the evil one in your life? Think about it logically. If I have a cut on my arm, if I'm weed whacking or, or I just, I love weed whacking and like doing pruning things and like doing gardening things and whatnot. But if I'm careless or if another gardener comes up to me and hits me with a, a spade or something like that, and I have this big gash on my arm, what do I have to do for that arm to not go septic and kill me? I have to stop and address it, right? And so 
the spiritual equivalent of stopping and addressing is stopping, recognizing what the wound is, how it got there, and actually petitioning our Lord for healing. So one of our former sessions was on healing. And we said in that session, we have to know what we need to be healed of to a certain degree and completely submit ourselves and those wounds to our Lord and daily add that to our prayer program. Remember, at least 15 minutes in the morning to get ourselves oriented to our Lord or the whole day is gonna be for Schimmel's. I guarantee you, okay? If we're not spending that time to get oriented, we're gonna be messed up in some sort of way. We might get used to being messed up, but we can function at a higher level and go towards sainthood if we go the other direction. So in that 15 minutes in my little prayer program, in the morning, I'm praying specific things. And I become aware that I'm wounded, that through that trauma, the enemy may be influencing me. It's not time to, direct, to directly address that enemy yet. It's time to ask Jesus for his healing power. Because if he heals that wound and it's closed up, guess what the enemy can't exploit anymore? That trauma, that wound. So it's the pursuit, first of all, through healing. And if it's a repeated sinful behavior, it's going to confession as much as is reasonable. If we fall into that, especially if it's of a serious mortal nature, we go to confession. We don't let it ride. We don't let it sit in our soul and influence us. We immediately say, God, I'm very, very sorry. And I need your healing power from this. Thoughts on protecting our furry friends. Your dog's not going to get possessed. Don't worry. That's the, <laughs> that's the short answer. Um, the enemy can only influence a dog to the extent that he can influence us. Because dogs, even though we treat them like they're people, they're actually property because they're not rationally conscious. You either have persons, and we've talked about angelic persons in this talk quite a bit, demonic angelic persons who have rational consciousness, or you have human persons, us, or you have divine persons, God. They all have rational consciousness. There's that, and then there's everything else. There's the immaterial universe, supernova, Jupiter, your dog, my desk, this phone, it, it, it's all just everything else. And so an animal is our property because we are rational creatures and they're irrational to use the philosophical term. And so they can't be influenced generally unless we're influenced in some way. That's how the enemy gains influence. So we don't have to worry about them. You can always get them blessed though, right? Every, every year on the Feast of St. Francis, which I think is in October at some point, there's the blessing of the animals and most churches do it. So there's a specific blessing for animals. If you ever wanna bring your animal by, your dog by, I love dogs. Uh, I'll give you the super high power old school pre-1960s blessing. And I'm happy to do that. Just very briefly, because we only got about a minute left. If we're being attacked through someone else, like a family member, it is critical that we do Two things, I think. You're gonna get different opinions from different people. One, to separate from that person to the extent that is appropriate. Uh, if, if they're truly trying to attack us diabolically, if that's the direct intention of their will, then we need to separate from them completely. 
Two, we need to sever all unholy ties that might be formed between us. And we talked about that in the session on healing as well. And I will add a third one. We need to pray prayers of protection. So to end this session, if you end up getting this book, and I have a few copies if you're ever in the office and you would like to uh, grab a copy of it, I'm absolutely more than happy to uh, pass it your way. Prayers of protection are very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. And one of them that I really, really like from this book is uh, very simply uh, a prayer to protect faculties, you know? So we, so we mention our faculties, our intellect, will, and passions, but it also has to do with our appetites, our taste, smell, touch, everything. This is a short and a beautiful little prayer, and we'll end with that tonight. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, let thy precious blood flowing from thy wounded heart cover me and all of us here. Our cognitive power, our memory, imagination, common sense power, sensitive appetites, our sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell in any parts of our bodies that are being affected, driving the demons to the foot of thy cross where they may be judged by you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, it's not about the devil. It's about Jesus.